chapter 2 this morning, verses 1 through 15. If you want to turn there um, in your Bibles, um, we come to this organization, and the organization that we're a part of right now, this thing called the church, is the one great eternal organization. Um, the relationships that you have with one another, uh, we have with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, will continue for all eternity. And the fact that around the throne of heaven forever and ever, we will enjoy fellowship with one another and the praise of our God in heaven affects how we live our lives now. And so what the church looks like now doesn't exactly look like what it's going to be then. Now we're shot through with sin and we're struggling to be conformed to the image of Jesus. We still need to forgive one another and ask for forgiveness. On that day, after the return of Jesus and our resurrection, the church will be made holy and spotless without blemish. And we will know in full what we know in part now. And the uniqueness of this organization and how that works is that God specifically in his word has said, this is what the church is supposed to be about and this is what the church's officers are supposed to be about. It's unique in that other organizations, there may be times where um, if you're in your HOA or if you're in your CrossFit club or even within your work, there may be times where either employees or employers, those in authority or those in the members may renegotiate what they want their organization to be like. They may rewrite job descriptions. They may rewrite membership vows. Well, we don't do that in the church, not just because God has spoken definitively, but because right now we are patterning in an imperfect way what we will see imperfect in the new heavens and the new earth. And so we are practicing for glory in what we do. And a part of that practicing for glory is not just the way that we interrelate to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, but as we live out what is the institutional church. You know, some people in this day say, I really love Jesus, and for the most part I love Christians, but I'm not into the institutional church. Well, that's kind of nice and cool to say these days, but the problem is that Jesus created the institutional church. And you can't love Jesus and walk with Jesus without being a part of and loving the institutional church because that, what he, what it was, what he was about. I think I'm fine. Okay. I'm good. Yeah. I know. I know. <laughs> they can hear me. I can yell out. We're good. I know. Just, you're right. That is a good idea. I can just take the whole thing off and talk as I go. Um, so what we're looking at this morning is we come especially to 2 Timothy, and we're going to look at what an elder is. And in looking at what an elder is, it's also the, the unique situation that an elder serves as a mentor and an example of what the congregation should grow into um, in a way that is also not like other organizations or employments. And so, you know, when you go to your doctor, um, it isn't necessarily that you are going to live your life like your doctor. You look at your employer, and in the things that you do with your employer, you may not want to mimic the different aspects of your employer's life. You may go to the, the CrossFit gym, and maybe you'd like to look like your CrossFit instructor physically, but maybe not the other things. Well, the unique aspect of elders is there are things that are unique to them, and the way that they serve in a congregation, um, Derek can attest to all the things that, um, that we've made him do in training and assessment and the interviews and the books and the meetings. Um, we had to make sure that God has uniquely called and equipped him 
to be an elder in Jesus' church. But in the way that Derek and John and I and every elder in the Church of Jesus Christ serves, they're supposed to be a mentor and a picture of what general Christians should be, not only in characteristics of holiness and virtue and godliness, but in the way that we confessed before you that we still sin, that we still have a deep need for Jesus, that we have to practice repentance as a daily part of um, our lives. And so this morning, in looking in this passage and what an elder should be, Paul talking to Timothy, his church planning intern, you're also going to see what the church should look like and how Christians are designed to grow into the image of Jesus. And so that's where we're going briefly here this morning um, in this passage in 2 Timothy. And so with that, I will read um, to us from God's Word, verses 1 through 15 in the second chapter of Paul's second letter to Timothy. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding and everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. The offspring of David is preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. This is the word of our God. Why don't we pray this morning before we consider it. Father, thank you for your word, which was not just delivered at one time as a true historical document chronicling Paul's relationship to Timothy and what an elder looked like in the early church, but is also to us the living word, sharper than a two-edged sword, instructing us today for all that we need to know about you, your grace, and how you've attended us to live in this world in advance and expectation of the return of Christ Jesus. So through your word, Lord, would you build us up, strengthen us, lead us to repentance, and show us your grace. We pray these things in Christ Jesus. Amen. So as we go through this you know, briefly, and very briefly, we're going to look at the the six different imperatives that Paul gives for Timothy and how these are things that not only an elder should expect of himself, um, but also that you as a congregation should expect of an elder. And the first one that you see is that Paul tells Timothy to be strengthened by the grace of Jesus. Um, we're taking a little break right now from the book of 1 Corinthians. If you remember back so long ago when we started the book, we looked at Paul laying out that there are two types of false religion in the world. That there are wisdom religions and that there are power religions. 
and that those two types of religions mimic and show us the ways that we pursue God in our own strength without relying on his grace. One is pursuing power and trying to be people of great power, people of great strength, people of great respect, people who have honor from others, people who are strong-willed, people who can white-knuckle it, people who have the right resumes, people who have the right spiritual disciplines, and by that we're able to try to create a life of habitual power and somehow wrestle from God, earn from God the kind of spiritual blessings and growth that we think he might give us if we work hard enough. And Paul says that that was what the Jews were after without Christ. That they plied themselves to the word of God, tried their best to perform all of the laws, and thought that in and by their own power, they were earning the righteousness that they thought God gave to people who tried hard enough. And then Paul looked at the Greeks and the Greek philosophers of that day, and he said, they do it differently. They're not after power. They're not after self-discipline. They're not after pulling themselves up by their own bootstraps. They're up to being wise. They study the basic questions of life. They see their brains as these expanding libraries of encyclopedic knowledge of the world and holy things and right living, whether they were Socratic or Seneca or the Stoics or the Epicureans, whoever they were, they thought by amassing enough wisdom in their heads that they therefore were righteous and knew how to live their lives to benefit the world and other people. And Paul says clearly that neither of those things have the strength to build us up, to grow us in the spiritual blessings that God promises, that the only way that God grows his people is by his grace. That Christians, and especially the leaders, the elders who lead them, must be men who go to God not because they have strong wills, not because they have an encyclopedic knowledge of the scriptures or theology or any other area of study under the sun, but because they are men who've been humbled by God's grace. That they have seen their sin, they have seen their weakness, they have seen that their shoulders are not broad enough to bear the weight of paying off their own sins, much less shepherding a congregation, and so they have purposed to ply themselves to God, to bind themselves to his gospel, to pursue every day that their God is a God of grace who loves to bless who loves to lavish his delighted smile on his servants, not because somehow they have gotten their acts together enough or have learned enough, but because he simply is a God of grace and love towards his people. And it is only as a Christian, only as an elder, comes to God and says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner that a man can grow at all in any spiritual progress. Whether it is me or it is John or it is Derek or any of the other elders who will follow after us, any of the elders who have preceded us, it is our dependence on the grace of God that is our greatest strength. 
And if any of us decide to deviate from God's grace and start posturing towards you as a congregation, trying to show that we in and of ourselves are strong, that we don't need as much grace as you do, or that somehow it is in our study or knowledge that we are made great, we do great harm to our souls and great harm to the congregation. And so Paul begins to Timothy and says, strengthen yourself by the grace of the Lord Jesus. The second thing he says, which we're doing now, is to train men and entrust to men these same truths that you've received. We do not believe in the, 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 the line of popes. We do not think that some bishop far off or authority has given this line of one man who's entrusted with the care of the whole church. We believe and see in the scriptures that men trained by the gospel and called to be elders have so in concurrence with the congregation trained and entrusted to future elders who will then shepherd congregations and share the gospel with them. And so one of the big jobs of the elders of your church is not just to shepherd you, but to train future elders. And so what we are doing here this morning is something that churches have always done. And it's what binds us to the churches of the past and the churches to come. We have purpose to know the scriptures. We have purpose to know Christ Jesus studied in them. And we have purpose as congregation and as elders to look across the congregation and to see and watch for men that God's calling to be elders so that we might entrust to them the same gospel in which we have believed knowing that there will be elders who outlive us. And as they outlive us, they too will shepherd and entrust this gospel to future elders. And in that way, we will preserve this word for future generations. And particularly in the denomination in which you stand, it's especially important and apropos that we talk about this on a day that we ordain a ruling elder. In our own denomination, we were a part of our previous denomination in the PCUSA, when the denomination was devolving into apostasy, it wasn't teaching elders and pastors who raised the major alarm, it was ruling elders. It was, we might say, bivocational pastors. Elders who have secular jobs, who've not been to seminary, but who love the church of Jesus Christ, and who know the scriptures, who said, we have to follow the Lord Jesus and in that way, the PCA was birthed as a response to and a protection of the gospel, doing what Paul says here in this passage. Make sure that you know and entrust to future generations of elders the gospel. Third, he says to endure suffering. And not only will Christians suffer, but elders in particular suffer. Um, we place ourselves in the position that when spiritual warfare comes, we're one of the primary targets. It's very difficult in our marriages. It's very difficult in our families. Um, we enter into people's lives, into the deepest and the darkness, and that is a distinct privilege, but the weight that we bear and caring for people and doing our best to fight against sin is a deep, deep burden. And so Paul instructs Timothy to endure suffering, but he says it using three different metaphors. He says, endure suffering as a soldier, and not because you're a big bad soldier with a cool sword, but because you've been enlisted by Jesus. You know elder who's called you into this work. And so keep your eyes on the general. Keep your eyes on the captain of your salvation. It will keep you in suffering 
doing and focusing on the right things. The second thing he says is to compete as an athlete. That in your suffering, it doesn't mean that you can make up new rules. We are bound as elders to serve you in a specific way. We don't get to say, we've decided we're going to serve an elders this way. And the same way that an athlete doesn't get to enter into competition and say, I've decided that there are new rules to this. They have to compete according to the standards of that sport. And so elders serve according to the word of God and have no freedom to depart from that. It is only within that we're able to compete like an athlete does with joy. Lastly, as a farmer, the sowing and reaping principle, the farmer laboriously works the soil. I have on my list this week to till our little garden out behind our home. I know that I'm going to get blisters on my hands during that. But I also know as we move through the year, I'm also going to see the fruit that comes from that garden. And so enduring suffering as an elder means the hard labors that you commit to are worth it and that in time you see fruit. And so Paul tells Timothy to endure suffering as a soldier, as an athlete, and as a farmer. Fourthly, to remember Jesus Christ. And I, I'll say very specifically, I'm not in any doubt that Derek is going to somehow forget Jesus. I don't think he's going to wake up one morning and kind of forget that he's a Christian. Um, nor is that the expectation of any of your elders, nor is that the expectation of Paul towards Timothy. And so why does Paul tell Timothy to remember Jesus Christ? It seems like that's the obvious thing, much less of a leader, that you're going to remember Jesus Christ. It relates to the first thing that we said, that Jesus is at the core of what we do. It isn't just a remember, it is a keep primary above everything else. And the fact that Paul says to remember means that it is the trial and challenge of every elder and every Christian that we will at times allow other things to compete in our life for first spot. And so for the scriptures to say, remember Jesus, is Paul and the Lord through Paul saying, remember Christian, remember elder, Jesus is most important. Never forget your focus on Jesus. Fifth, to remind and charge the congregation. Not only do elders remember, but then they remind the congregation. That it is the job of elders to charge, to speak the word of God to a congregation. It is not the job of elders to organize programs. We are not your social directors. Elders are charged in Scripture to speak the Word of God to the congregation, to shepherd you through the administering of the Word of God and the sacraments. That's why elders are called ministers, because we add minister. We minister the grace of God and the Word of God and the sacraments and the remember Jesus and the charging you as a Christian, walk with the Lord Jesus, repent of sins, love him, worship him, work the gospel into your life, obey him in every aspect of the life that you live to his glory. Remember in charge. Lastly, that we might be a worker approved before God by our right handling of the word of God. Um, your big expectation of us is that we will love and commit ourselves to this book that we will never depart from this book, that we will preach and teach you the scriptures 
authoritatively as it's been handed down through the church that we don't come in whether we're in community groups and counseling sessions or behind the pulpit or the music stand or whatever you want to call this thing that in these moments we don't say I have a new cool idea or I have this vague sense of what this book might mean for you or I got this email this week and it's pretty cool and I'm going to read it to you it's that we are charged in tasks and that we will, as elders, very specifically stand before the throne of God and not only be judged by the way that we lived our lives before the Lord God, as every person will, but we will be judged by our right handling of the Word of God in a way that is peculiar to elders. We bear the weight of a special calling. And God is not... um, goofy about that. He's not silly. He doesn't think it's a light thing. He has a very specific calling towards elders, and so we commit ourselves to the Word of God. These charges are here in Scripture, and God expects us to do that, and you should expect us um, to do that as well as workers approved. That is our job. Expect us as elders to do our job. You can imagine if, you know, the, we like getting mail at our house. The mailman comes around noon to noon and one and hear the the mailman come through you can imagine if i hear the mail truck come through sometimes comes down my driveway and delivers packages and i'm hour to look out and the mailman's cutting my grass Uh, or go in and and talk to the mailman and say you know why are you mowing my lawn the mailman said you know i just come by a lot just really appreciate you and i wanted to stop today and just mow your lawn thanks so much for mowing my lawn. That's a really nice thing. So I came out to see where my mail is. And he's like, yeah, I just, I don't quite know where your mail is. I, I think I might have left it at the previous stop. But, you know, I, I mowed your lawn. Like, I, you know, I, I need you to deliver the mail. Like, that's your job. You may have mowed my lawn, but you have utterly failed at your job as a mailman. That's what I expect from you. Elders can do a lot of things. They can mow your lawns. They can make you happy. They can sit down at meals with you. <coughs> They have to deliver the mail. They have to teach to you the word of God. They have to share the gospel and point you to Christ Jesus. And they can do a ton of nice things, but if they don't deliver the mail, they've utterly failed at what God has called them to do. And so it's important not only for elders to know that, but that to be your expectation. There was a study, um, and then we'll talk about this study. We'll move into the next part of our service that... Um, they asked parishioners what their pastor elders should do, all the different jobs that they expected of pastors and elders to do. Um, And after they recorded what they thought those pastors and elders should do on all the lists, they took them together and made some time approximations, um, and they came to the conclusion that the expectation was that elders should work 240-hour weeks. If they took all of the things that was expected by the congregation, put a time estimate next to it, and what would happen if they were able to check all of those things off? I said, this is just, you know, you just can't make everybody happy. And that's why the scriptures are so good to us. We're not left up to consensus of what an elder should do or a pastor should do. We have in the word of God, this is what an elder should do. Not only should do, but the thing that will benefit the congregation the most the unique place that elders have in your life to preach the gospel to you, to minister grace to you, and to ensure you are walking with Jesus. You know, as elders, in a, in a very good way, we look forward to your funerals. We really do. Not because we're tired of you or you know, want to step into those moments, but 
we want to see you home. It's our job to get you there, to shepherd you all the way. And on the day that we stand at your funeral as elders, we're able to say, by the grace of God, and certainly with errors, and never perfectly, but we did our best to shepherd that one home, and now they're with their Savior. And so that's what we long for. And we're grateful for this trust, and it is difficult, and it is hard, but it's a part of how we work together as a congregation. And so we love you, Derek. We're so excited that you're entering into this um, today. Um, you are not alone um, as we enter into these things, and we are grateful, and I am grateful, um, that one of the first things that you said to me um, in our first conversation, on one of the first times that you walked through the doors of this gym, um, is how much that you loved this word and appreciated that this church family was about this word, um, that, that boded well for where we are um, today. And so, want to pray for us, and we'll move into the joyous um, ordination installation of Derek McFarland. Father, we are grateful for this moment that we have. We are grateful for your word, which is true and binds us. We are grateful for the gospel that it preaches about your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you continue to impress upon us now your presence with us? Let us rejoice in this great gift, this great work that you're doing in our midst. We pray and we ask these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. I'm supposed to also give a, a declaration of what elders are supposed to do. Um, we're going to take that sermon as, um, as being what that was. I um, invite you, Derek, um, to come forward. John, um, come forward as our other elder um, as well. And um, we now have a chance to, to move through the, the joyous ordination and installation. Um, we'll read the questions, um, the vows um, that Derek will take. We, um, we spent the weekend actually at Derek's cabin, um, praying for you as a congregation, um, praying for Derek. And so um, we left Maryland yesterday. We were in 2 Timothy together. And one of the things we were reflecting on was um, how close that these ordination vows um, are, are to a, a wedding vows. Um, even this day, when so many services have so poor vows in a wedding, you'd have more gravitas, more sobriety, more purpose. And so as we move through these things in a very real way, Derek is binding himself not only to the Lord Jesus, not only to John and I as his co-elders, but to you as a congregation. In a very real way, he's marrying himself to you as an elder to a congregation with a covenant vow. He isn't promising to serve just for a few years and then step down. There are, there are no terms for, for deployment. Um, he is an elder in perpetuity forever because he is qualified for this work. And so as we enter into um, these vows, um, it is a privilege for John and I as the, the session now um, to ask you these questions, brother. Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments as originally given to be the inerrant word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and practice? Do you? I do. Do you sincerely receive and adopt the confession of faith and the catechisms of this church as containing the system of doctrine taught in the Holy Scriptures, and do you further promise that if any time you find yourself out of accord with any of the fundamentals of this system of doctrine, you will, on your own initiative, make known to your session the change which has taken place in your views since the assumption of this ordination vow? Do you? I do. Do you approve of the form of government and discipline of the Presbyterian Church in America 
in conformity with the general principles of biblical polity. Do you? I do. Do you accept the office of ruling elder in this church and promise faithfully to perform all the duties thereof and to endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your life and to set a worthy example before the church of which God has made you an officer. Do you? I do. Do you promise subjection to your brethren in the Lord? Do you? I do. And lastly, do you promise to strive for the purity, peace, unity, and edification of the church? Do you? I do. Next, we have a question for you as the congregation. So for all of you who are members at Christ's Covenant, um, I'm going to ask you to hold up your right hand and I'll ask you this question. Do you, the members of this church, acknowledge and receive this brother as a ruling elder? And do you promise to yield him all that honor, encouragement, and obedience in the Lord to which his office, according to the word of God, and the constitution of this church entitles him. Do you? Do. Now, a chance, brother, if you will kneel, um, we will pray for you. And John will lead us in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we know that every good and perfect gift is from you, from above. And one of the greatest of those gifts is your word. And your word tells us that of first importance in the establishment of your churches is the appointment of elders. And so, Father, we thank you for this good and excellent gift, this provision to this church of an elder in Derek McFarland. Father, we acknowledge that you have been building this for a long time. And we follow your lead and ask that you would daily strengthen Derek the carrying out of this all-important role. Father, we ask that you would lead him and give him insight into handing, handling accurately your word of truth, that you would give him wisdom in applying it to the many situations of life in the church. Father, we ask that you would use Derek as an elder to build your church. And Father, we pray for Derek what has been so evident is his love for you, his desire to serve you, to run after you, to stand for you in every situation. I know, Father, that those desires are there and that he will live them out in our midst as a man, as a husband, as a father, and as an elder. I pray right now, Father, that you would remind to him and to us the thing that keeps Derek in your care the thing that authorizes him and empowers him to be an elder is your love and your fatherly care for him. And so, Lord, would you be faithful to your promises to Derek that his times in your word by himself would be sweet, that you would show him his sins, not to beat him down, but to show him a godly repentance that rejoices with faith, that he would sing with joy of the great things you've done, that you would cause his marriage and his relationship with his children to thrive and grow. That you, Lord God, would give him deep and abounding relationships with the people of this church. You are the one who does these things. And we are grateful for your provision and care for this, our brother. And so we entrust him to your care. 
knowing that is where he has been and where he always will be, and give great thanks for Derek and your work in his life. And we pray in Christ. Amen. You can stand, brother. It says that we're supposed to give you the right hand of fellowship. I'm going to give you the hug of fellowship. <laughs> John can do the same. I'll do that too. And now I have the, the chance, having given you the right hand of fellowship, uh, as the minister, teaching elder, um, chairman of our session, I now have the privilege and power to say, I now pronounce and declare that Derek McFarland has been regularly elected, ordained, and installed a ruling elder in this church, agreeable to the word of God, and according to the Constitution of the Presbyterian Church in America, and that as such he is entitled to all encouragement, honor, and obedience in the Lord, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. It will be appropriate to sing the doxology at this point. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. You can be seated for a minute, brother. have a chance to conclude this portion of the ordination installation service, giving a charge to Derek um, and a charge to you. And so, Derek, as we worked our way through that passage, um, I've come to know you enough that you know the sobriety of this and that there is a, a corner of your heart, um, maybe a big corner of your heart, that feels utterly inadequate for this task that fears failure and fears the outbreak of imperfections that you know that you have. I want to tell you that that fear and your realization of your inadequacy is very real and true. And so what I charge you to is to step into that and let those fears and knowledge of your own weakness drive you to Christ Jesus. You now have a distinct privilege in this congregation to be humbled as an elder in a way that other people do not have the privilege of being humbled. The weight that is upon you and that is upon us is a crushing weight and it is intended to drive us to our knees. We can fight against that or we can go to our knees and look to the Lord God for strength, to the Lord Jesus for grace. I pray that you would do that and that you would do that in such a joyful, evident, open way that this congregation sees it and knows that your strength doesn't come from you, that comes from Christ. And I charge you, as we already have, which is standing policy for our session and our elders, to love Carrie, as Christ Jesus loves the church. Your marriage is going to be the most important thing to you outside of staying near to Christ. This isn't something you add another responsibility. You will elder, you will minister, you will pastor 
out of the union that you have with your wife. And so I charge you to love her openly, romantically, joyfully, so that our congregation might see your marriage and rejoice, and that might be a model to us of a man and a woman growing in love with one another and an elder pastoring and eldering out of what God is doing in his marriage. The Lord Jesus loves you, Derek. And we are so excited to see his love expressed in this congregation. To the congregation. Congregations can run their elders straight into the ground. Congregations or small segments of congregations can make it so miserable to be an elder, not just that they want to quit, but that they do quit. Congregations have a solemn responsibility to steward their elders. Doesn't mean that elders won't fail you. It doesn't mean there won't be conflict. Doesn't mean that you may disagree. It doesn't mean any of those things. But you have a charge to Derek and all of your elders by Scripture to love your elders, to support your elders in such a way that they can minister to you joyfully and happily. And so I charge you, especially in the case of Derek, he is your trust. He is this great gift that Jesus has given to you as a congregation. It is not a one-way street, it is a relationship. And the Lord Jesus has tasked you with loving him and supporting him and encouraging him and his family. And just as I talked to Derek, so I talked to us as a congregation, we are not up to that task. We will fail in our love for Derek we will make ministering and eldering difficult. There will likely be times that he wants to quit. It happens. And so we as a congregation in the same way look to the Lord Jesus. We confess that we don't serve each other and don't serve or care for our elders or deacons in ways that we should. And we look to the Lord God for grace in the ways that congregations fail their leader, leaders as well. And so as a congregation, officers and congregations, elders, deacons and members, brothers and sisters in Christ, we have this mutual obligation to love and support one another. And it is only as we confess our weakness and our inability at times to do that well and cling to Jesus for mercy and grace that we will actually be able to love one another and grow in a way that marks a distinct local church congregation bound together by the love of Christ, failing forward to God's glory, elders serving as under shepherds, congregations receiving and serving elders, and all of us together looking for the great day when the sin that so dogs our steps and mars us is washed away, and all of us around the throne of Jesus will worship the Lord God um, as the local church that we are today, as we practice for heaven according to the word of our God. And so, congregation, um, I charge you um, to that end. Um, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this day, um, this great service of ordination and installation. Thank you for Derek, for this local church, for every person who's here, um, for the gospel that's gone before us, that endures in our midst and will extend beyond us if you tarry in sending your son back. We love you, Lord God, and we pray that you would continue to grow our congregation.
to protect us, Lord, to root us in your word, and to show us Christ Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Um, I forgot to say, Derek, we also um, we got you a gift um, to mark um, the day. It seemed like it kind of fit you and who you were. And so um, we have a knife um, for you um, with an engraved blade with today's date. Oh, that's awesome. And, um, and the <laughs> um, that we had. And so thank you. Um, th- this is your better weapon. Yes. Um, but <laughs> and so we're grateful for you. Um, John, if you want to come up to um, the fun of this morning is that now we get to enter into congregational life. Um, and Derek gets to participate in that with... Um, with John and I um, as elders. And so now we have the benefit of welcoming new members. And so um, if Dan and Kathy Orr um, and um, Emily and Matt Priest will come forward, um, love to, to have you all up here. I think Emily and Matt might be um, back in, in the nursery or in the, um, oh, there you are. You're getting your shot. Sorry, yeah. I didn't see you. There you are. Um, but love to have you all. Um, we're actually going to wait to baptize little Isaiah. Um, we're going to have some family coming in a month, and so it'll be a, a dual um, benefit. But um, these folks have come, um, have submitted their membership applications, been interviewed for, for membership. It's been the joy of John and I as elders to interview them. Um, and now come to this point. Um, Emily and uh, Matt come from one of our sister congregations in Chattanooga, Tennessee, um, Lookout Mountain um, PCA Church. We're so grateful to have them with us. Um, Dan and Kathy are so grateful to have them. Um, Dan met Christ um, very early on in his life, um, actually helped lead John, his brother, to Christ. Um, And Kathy met Christ here in this church um, in an Easter service just um, a a few years ago. And so um, we're grateful to have you all now joining the church as well. They're they're already members, um, and they've already been received by your elders. And now we get to recognize them, because it's not only their relationship with their elders, but their relationship with you too. In the same way that Elder, uh, same way that Derek answered questions um, that I asked, as John asks questions now, that are not only ask, answering questions in their relationship with us, but especially their relationship with you. And that's why we do this, and so that you can see they're in for life with you. They're committed to this congregation. They are here as your brothers and sisters in Christ, not just they show up on Sunday mornings for 90 minutes, but they are committing themselves to you. Um, as their brothers and sisters. And so, um, John, I'll let you um, do your thing. This morning, for the uh, first time as I was preparing for this part, I noticed that actually our book of church order has a, a short preamble to the asking of the questions. And I like it, and I would like to start with that. All of you being here present to make a public profession of faith are to assent to the following declarations and promises by which you enter into a solemn covenant with God and his church. First question. Do you acknowledge yourselves to be sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure, and without hope, save in his sovereign mercy, do you? I do. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners, and do you receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered in the gospel, do you? I do. Do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as becomes the followers of Christ, do you? I do. Do you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability, do you? I do. 
Do you submit yourselves to the government and discipline of the church and promise to study its purity and peace? Do you? I do. Excellent. Now the chance to, um, to pray for you all. Um, Father, thank you for Dan, for Kathy, and for the priests, for little Isaiah, for such radically different stories of how they came to faith and how they came to our congregation. Um, different stages of life, different areas of working and being here in Christ's Co- Christ covenant and Culpeper. And that's a part of what makes our congregation so beautiful, that you call people not for any one thing, save for the fact that they love you, Lord God, and they believe in Christ Jesus, your Son, alone for the salvation. And because of that belief, that faith, they know they've been bound to a body of Christians And they're taking this public step to show that they believe that this morning and joining this church. And so thank you for them and the ways they've already served us. Thank you, Lord, that you've brought them here because there are folks here among us who have been specifically tailor-made to minister grace to Dan and Kathy and Emily and Matt. That there are events in the future where these new members are going to need our congregation to say to encourage them in ways that only we can provide and so you've ordained this relationship for that end so thank you for that lord i pray you cause each of them to grow lord in their relationship with you pray lord you cause the priest family and their marriage to grow closer to one another and to have such joy in the raising of isaiah and teaching him everything there is to learn about this faith we pray lord that you would remind us as a congregation of this day that we would remember this day when they were brought here and we would watch you grow these folks in grace and the knowledge of Jesus and be encouraged, remembering back to these vows that they took, that this was no light thing, but a serious thing they felt called by you to enter into. Thank you, Lord, for our local church, for these people. We pray in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Y'all can be seated. Welcome. Thank you.